Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Dawn. Love that song. Wonderful. Ken, it's hard to imagine what it'd be like with no more tears, no more crying. It's just hard to fathom that because we know so much of that in this life. What a beautiful, beautiful message and song. Take your Bibles, if you will, today to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And today we're continuing our series in the book of Mark. Uh, and uh, I've entitled the message today, When Chaos Comes Calling. When Chaos Comes Calling. <clears throat> I'm going to read Mark chapter 3, verses 6 to 19. I'm trying to remember where I was going to read to. I saw Kurt up there in the uh, AVL room. Kurt's kind of stepped down from AVL, but he's filling in this morning, so we appreciate that. Kurt's just too much on his plate now. Steve Flanyak's going to be taking over for that, but today Steve was out of town, so Kurt stepped back in. I really do appreciate that. All right, let's stand together. We'll read the Word, word of God today. Verse 6, And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy Jesus. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Idumea, from beyond Jordan, from Tyre and Sidon, and a great multitude. They that had heard what great things he did came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to, for to touch him as many as had plagues and unclean spirits. And when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightway charged them that they should not make him known. And he goeth up into a mountain, and he calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James. And he surnamed them Bornerges, which is the sons of thunder and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into a house. You may be seated. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus has withdrew himself from the Pharisees because they now plot to kill him, and so he wants to get away from them for a while. And so in the process of getting away from them, he takes his disciples with him to the Sea of Galilee. And there on the Sea of Galilee, people hear that he's out there, and instead of being able to get away at the Sea of Galilee, they throng him. They come after him in great mobs, is the word in our language. They mobbed him. They mobbed him. And you talk about when chaos comes, I mean, everywhere Jesus was, there was always this chaos trying to go on around the scenes. You saw that with the Pharisees who were trying to catch him in a trap, spying on him all the time, and now we see it again. Chaos ensues. I just want to talk to you about chaos today a little bit, and I want to tell you, when chaos comes in your life, don't run. Just stand your ground, and I promise you, give it enough time, chaos will run. Okay, And so I want to get into this because the truth is, if you'll think about this, there are opportunities in your chaos. Now, I wish that would stick with you today. I wish every time you got into chaos and every time you got into a situation that was difficult for you, you just stop and think, there's an opportunity in this chaos. 
And I want to begin to learn how to see that. And that's exactly what you see in Jesus' life. The opportunities in chaos. Because a lot of times we get in chaos and we say, this is not a good time. <laughs> this is not a good time for this to happen in my life. It's not a good time for me to be attacked. It, it, this is not a good time for me to be overwhelmed. This is not a good time. I've lost my job. This is not a good time they're downsizing in my company. This is not a good time I'm going through a breakup. This is not a good time I'm depressed. This is not a good time for me because there are so many things in my life and right now I'm just not sure of myself. This just isn't a good time. It is in your insecurity of that time that defines who you really are. It is in the insecurity of that time that defines who you really are. Chaos will not define you in convenience. Chaos will find you and define you in your inconveniences. That's where you will be defined in your life. When you're in the chaos. And chaos is an opportunity for your life. If you'll just look at it that way. Now, you will be challenged in your chaos. You'll not be challenged in your, con in your convenience. You'll be challenged in your inconvenience. And I think that's an important thing to say to you today. Because I want you to take the opportunities in your life where chaos comes... And I want you to use those for God's purposes in your life and just step back and take that opportunity. Some take it, some drown. What will you do in your chaos? I've outlined this message around three simple thoughts. When you join the journey with Jesus, that's a disciple, when you join the journey with Jesus, you inevitably face three challenges. Three challenges. Here we go. Number one, you will face pressure. You will face pressure. We read that in verse 7 to 12. There was a rising hostility toward Jesus so bad it got to the point that the Pharisees went to consult with the Herodians. The Pharisees went to consult with the Herodians how they might kill, destroy Jesus. Now the Herodians, without going into a lot here on this one, the Herodians and the, and the uh, Pharisees were of two different political camps in that day. Opposites. Opposite camps. Strange bedfellows, those Pharisees and Herodians. Somehow they couldn't get along with each other in their politics, but when it came to getting rid of Jesus, they got together. Strange bedfellows often come together because we know the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. No, I can't stand you Herodians, and I can't stand you Pharisees. Let's get together because he's the worst enemy. We get rid of Jesus, so we come together, and they consulted how they might kill him. Kill him. So Jesus says, let's withdraw. Let's get away for a while. Let's take a break. So they go to the Sea of Galilee to get away, and that didn't work out so well. The Bible says they started coming from everywhere. They came from Galilee. They came from Jerusalem, from Judea, from Idumea. Let me just stop there and let you get this. The whole nation came after him. It was greater than a Trump rally, all right? I just want you to know the whole place came after him. The whole nation came after Jesus. They came 
50, 80, 100 miles to come to Jesus. And walk that away, okay. And then they came from Tyre and Sidon. Those are Gentile nations. The Gentiles came to see him, which is a beautiful picture of what Jesus is going to unfold through the book of Mark, that it came for the Gentiles too. And so here the whole nation comes, and even surrounding Gentile nations come to see Jesus, and the Bible says they thronged him. They mobbed him. Literally, they're just, they're all over him. They're hanging on him. They just want to touch him. And they are mobbing him in such a way that there's hundreds and hundreds of people surrounding him. You talk about, you talk about physical pressure. Physical pressure on Jesus at this time. Just think about that for a minute. The physical pressure he was under. Now, look at verse 8 more carefully, okay? Why did they come at the end of verse 8, says? When they had heard what great things he did, they came unto him. Now, don't miss that. They came because of what he was doing, not because of what he was saying. They didn't come to hear him preach. They just wanted to be healed. They wanted to be healed. Now, you keep this in mind throughout the book of Mark, this, this desire to be healed. And I'm just going to say a little bit about this right here, okay? Now, I just want you to know God is interested in our health, in our bodies, because he did heal a lot of people. So he's interested in our bodies, and he's interested in our health. But the truth of the matter is, he is more interested in the well-being of your soul. Now, I know you're more interested in your health, but he is far more interested in your soul. You, you, need, you need to just let that sink in because that is the emphasis of Scripture. The care for the soul is the top priority of Jesus. The care for the soul is the top priority of Jesus. He wanted them to hear the Word of God. He wanted to teach it because he was trying to speak to their souls. They wanted the healing. They wanted the health. They wanted for their bodies. Just compare what a preacher makes to a doctor, okay? Just make a comparison there, and you'll begin to understand that preachers and teachers are the lowest paid people on average in the United States. Who's the highest? Doctors. Why? Because it tells us something about our society. We are far more interested in our body than in our soul. Just let that sink in for a minute. That, that is our culture today. We'll pay any amount of money. No expense spared. We got the best insurance because we're interested in the health of our body. Nothing wrong with that. Where it becomes wrong is when it gets in an imbalance to our soul and the importance of our soul. Let me say it this way. What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world? He lives to 100. He gets to see his great-great-grandkids. And he loses his own soul. What good is that? You're going to live to 100 because you got all your money invested in your health? And you haven't really prepared your soul? You haven't done anything for your soul? Now you say, well, I'm saved, so I'm good to go. No, your whole life is about your soul. Your whole life is about your soul. Let me say it this way, okay? What happens to your body matters for a short time. Remember that, okay? What happens to your body matters for a short time, but what happens to your soul in this lifetime matters forever. It's not just about being saved. It's the priority you put on your soul. 
So in their desire to be healed, that's all they wanted, they mobbed him. The Bible said they pressed against him. They were crushing him. They were crushing him. Literally, Jesus was concerned for his physical safety at this point. So many trying to get their hands on him. So many trying to get healed. Jesus is like, he calls the disciples and says, hey man, get a boat. i got to get away from these people because it's not about healings. It's about me getting in a boat and preaching to them. That's far more important. So he says, get a boat. Help me out. I need to get away from them. They're crushing me. That's physical pressure. But not only was there physical pressure, verse 11 tells us there was spiritual pressure. And the unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And Jesus again said, Now don't tell anybody. All right? Now, if you were a demon and you were living in a person, okay? I know it's hard to imagine that, but let's say you were living in a person and you knew Jesus was at the Sea of Galilee, what would you want to do as a demon? I think in my heart and mind, I'd want to get away as far as I could. What do I want to go to see someone that has doomed my soul to hell forever? I don't even want to be around them. Unless your master and Lord says you've got to go. Why do I got to go, master? Because he can't stand your testimony. And if there's one thing I want Jesus aggravated by, it's not just physical pressure. I want him to feel the spiritual pressure his whole life. So you demons get around him as much as you can because I want him to feel the ache of that. I want him to be in chaos. Here he is trying to deal with people and over here the demons are falling down. You're the son of God. You're the son of God. Quiet. Over here the people are trying to get healed. I mean, you talk about the chaos Satan was trying to bring to this situation. He is working overtime. Demon, you get over there and you get over there now. And you fall down. I know you don't want to fall down. I don't want to fall down. But you fall down and you just cry out, he's the son of God, because he hates your testimony. And that's exactly what I want the people to hear. Is a testimony of someone who has no belief in you except to know I know who you are. And so this is the chaos that Jesus is under. Jesus had a pressure-filled day. It's not all bad. It's not all bad to have a pressure-filled day because he was doing two things. He was caring for people. He was preaching. And he was dealing with demonic forces. That's why he had a pressure-filled day. That's why the pressure was on in his life. He was caring for people. He was preaching. And he was dealing with demonic forces. Now, let me just give you a misconception sometimes we have about serving God and living for God. Sometimes we have this misconception. The more I grow in Jesus Christ, the less chaotic my life will be. That's a misconception. If I have learned one thing, serving Jesus Christ, I have learned this. There have been many, many nights I've gone to bed exhausted absolutely exhausted, caring for people and dealing, dealing with wicked forces that are trying to destroy this church, this ministry, and my life. Many nights I've gone to bed exhausted. And even though I went to bed exhausted, it's still one of the most fulfilling things in my life. It's still one of the most fulfilling things because pressures are a part of it. So, 
get yourself into service for Jesus Christ, you say, man, I don't got the time. Man, I'm too busy. Do those two things, okay? Care for people and fight demonic forces. Now, you won't fight it like Jesus fought it, but you will fight demonic forces that are up against you. So I ask you this, this myself here, just, just thinking about this. Are you living under the right kind of pressure in your life? Whatever you do for a living, wherever you are in the week, if you're retired, whoever you are, are you living with the right kind of pressure in your life? That's a good question to ask because there is good pressure. And this is good pressure. Okay, I'm not talking about self-imposed pressure where you get yourself in credit card debt and then you're stressing over that. That's not the kind of pressure I'm talking about. I'm not talking about social media and getting yourself known out there and all the great things you're doing and trying to push yourself so you can get certain kinds of friends or you can move forward in your life. I'm not talking about that kind of pressure. Okay, now, most of you don't have a problem with that. But I still want to say that to you that that's not the right kind of pressure. The right kind of pressure is, am I caring for people? Am I making the gospel clear? Am I preaching? And number three, am I fighting demonic forces? It's worth thinking about in your life, okay? Th those are important things. That's challenge number one. You will face pressure, and there's a good pressure, and it's a good thing to face, and it will tire you. Number two, let's go to challenge number two. You will face a desperate need to pause, you will face a desperate need to pause. When you get around chaos and you get around all these kind of things that go on and the pressure you feel, the physical pressure, the spiritual pressure you feel in life, the best thing you will desperately need is to pause. How did they pause here? The Bible says he went up into a mountain. The sea didn't work. He said, I'm going to a mountain. You know why they always went to a mountain in the Bible? Because as a mountain was the closest man could get to God. And so a mountain is like the midway point for God and man. That's why people like to go to the mountains and they say, oh, I can see God's beauty here. That's a great place to meet with God, though. Because you go up and you meet with God, and that's like the midway point between you and God. Now, you can do that in your bedroom, that's for sure. But there is something unusual about going to a mountain and just getting alone. That's what Jesus was going to do. He said, okay, we're going to the mountain now, and we're going to press pause. You have those times, don't you? My, my grandson called me today. Asher, he's five years old. He can get his dad's phone and his mom's phone, and he knows how to, he knows the passwords, the six-digit numbers to get in. It's amazing. He'll get in those, and he knows how to get to the phone. Then he'll call me, and he called me today, and I think he called my wife, too. Haven't had a chance to talk to her, but he calls me on the phone. He says, Papa, we're going to be a tad wait today. We're going to be a tad wait for lunch, so don't you eat without us. I said, is anybody going to be a tad wait? And he said, nope, just us. He said, but don't you eat without us. And then he ended up going and naming all 19 of the grandkids and everybody in the family. And he named us all. He said, now if Karis is late, you wait. Now if Hannah's late, you wait. And I mean, he went into it. I was on the phone. And I just, I just got tickled by that, just that sense of that need to pause. 
And so here we have in this passage of Scripture just a beautiful, beautiful sense where he goes to this mountain. He calls the 12 apostles to him. Now, why 12? 12 is an unusual number in Scripture. There are the 12 tribes of Israel. And in the Old Testament, they represented all of Israel. You had the 12 leaders of Israel, and then you have the 12 tribes, and so they represent all of Israel. Now God's looking for a new kind of disciple. He's got 12 again, and he's going to call them to a mountain, just like he called Moses to a mountain for the Old Testament. Now Jesus is going to call his 12 to him because he's looking for a new kind of disciple. Jesus calls 12 men that he wanted. And every one that he called came. That's the calling of God. We've gone through that already. That's the call of God. But they willingly came to join his band of men. They weren't forced. They willingly came. I want to go. I want to be a part of that. They willingly came. He appointed 12, the Bible says. See that word appointed? Uh, we don't really have a good English word for that in the Greek, so I thought I would just give you the definition of that. Listen to this word in the Greek, okay? It means this, to make them for. To make them for. That's a weird way to say it, but that's literally what it means. To make them for. Now, to make sense of that, the idea is this. I'm going to call 12 and I'm going to make them four, but really what he's saying is I'm going to make something of them. That's what it means. He appointed them. I'm going to make something of these 12 disciples. That's what it means in the context. And so you should see that in your life as Jesus wants to make something of you if you'll follow him. He'll make something of you. He'll make something of you. Now, in order for Jesus to be able to do that, Sometimes in your life, you have to press pause. You have to press pause. You've got to recharge. You've got to refuel. You've got to stop everything going on in your life. And you need to get away from people. You need to get away from ministry. Because it's easy sometimes in life to get real busy doing a lot of good things. But you never press pause. You never press pause. Jesus did both. I just want you to understand that. He faced the pressure of doing ministry, but he also knew he needed to press pause on ministry. Now, my guess is, this is my guess with most of you. My guess on most of you is some of you are more proficient at pursuing the pressure of life than you are at pressing the pause to recharge your life. It's my guess. It's my guess. It's easier to go out and deal with the pressure of life than it is for you to pause and slow down and stop and recharge. I've learned in my ministry, you'll be well served in your ministry by doing both. By doing both. Say, so, okay, Pastor Rob, what are you to be doing when you pause? What are you to be doing when you pause? Let me... Just give you a couple ideas here. The Bible says, <laughs> verse 14, and he ordained 12. He says two things, that they should be with him. That's beautiful. They should be with him, and then he might send them forth to preach. 
If God presses pause in your life, this is what he's going to do. This is what he's going to do with you. Number one, he wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. Not to study the Bible, not to study the Old Testament law, not to study biology, not to study physics or chemistry or any of those things. He just wants to be with you. Now, the Bible may be a means for him to be with you, but it's not just to study the Bible so you can learn something. It's to be with him. To be with him. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to get with him. It's just so powerful, just a simple statement to be with him. He called them literally to himself. He didn't call them to the Bible. He didn't call them to Bible school. He didn't call them to the law. He called them to him to be with me. That's what Jesus wanted. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Those may be a means to that end, but they are not the end to just study the Bible and learn the Bible and learn something about the Bible. That's not it. You're to learn all that to be with him. To be with him. What does that mean to be with him? To belong to him. To learn of him. To learn from him. He says that so many times. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. What are you going to learn of me when you're with him? I'm meek. I'm lowly of heart. I'm gentle. Are you gentle? Are you meek? See, you're going to learn of him when you're with him. You're going to become gentle. You're going to become meek. Because I'm meek and lowly in heart. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Just learn of me. Be with me. Be with me. And I'll give you rest for your souls. Right now you're all stirred up. you got so many things that are bothering you. Just pause and be with him. It's, it's worth noting before Jesus asks us to do anything else, he asks you and I to spend time with him. I don't want you to miss this because this speaks to my heart. But discipleship with Jesus is first and foremost a relationship with Jesus. It's not about going out there and having disciples and people to teach and people to learn from you. That's not first and foremost discipleship. It's being with Jesus. It's with Jesus. That's first and foremost what discipleship is. To learn of him. Be with me. Not serve me. Just be with me. I, I know I can admit that readily. Because if I err, that's the side I err to. Is to be busy. To serve. When I'd have my devotions, I looked at my devotions like it was my mission briefing for the day. Okay, God, I got a lot to do today. 
what's my mission impossible today? Tell me in 15, 20 minutes, and I'm out the door. I got 20 minutes. That's all I got. I got to go. Come on. I'm busy. I'm busy. I got to go, God. You got 20 to 30 minutes. What do you want me to do? Okay, put me in the game, coach. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to play. And Jesus said, hey, chill. Hey, Sparky. Sparky, just sit down a minute, okay? Just sit here. I don't want to sit here. I want to go. I want to be in the game. I want to do something. I want to go somewhere. Just, just sit down. Just sit down. I want to be with you. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you had this distinct feeling that they were not really interested in what you were talking about? You know anybody like that? They just seemed to be interested in something else. They just didn't seem to... What did you say? Tell, tell me again. I'll just be something. Oh, oh. That's how we get with Jesus sometimes. We do it with our whole family, but we do it with Jesus especially. Man, i got to find out what's going on out there in the world. I don't got time. I don't got time. Wow, this is all going on. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. And Jesus says, just sit with me. I think if Jesus had just one ask of you, I believe this. You know what he would say? Just be with me. Let's talk. Let's hang out. What's on your heart? What are you so worried about? I want to know. Let's just be together. Is there a chance you're missing what he wants from you? All right, let's go on. As soon as he says that, in verse 14 he says, not only did he want to be with them, but that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Now remember, in the book of Mark, he gets right to the point. He doesn't go into a lot of detail. He just kind of, and that's a summary statement of everything that he's calling these disciples and us to do, okay? So again, understand it that way. He's just trying to say, this is a simple way to say this because it's how Mark speaks in his language. I want you to go out. I want you to preach. I want you to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to equip you to do that. I want you to cast out demons. Now, don't panic when you hear that and say, I can't cast out any demons. I, I, I can't really preach. That's, that's really not just the idea of the text. What Mark is saying is, I want you to go out and I want you to share this goodness that you have found in your heart with people. Not only I want you to share this goodness, I want you to love them and I want you to serve them. That's really the bigger idea here. I want you to go out and I want you to get this good news with the people out there. I want you to love them and serve them. Every one of us, every one of us, if we're his disciples, if we're going to join the journey and we're going to go after him, this is what he wants us to do. He wants us to be with him and he wants us to go out and he wants us to preach. Oh, pastor, I can't preach. What do you have to preach? The gospel, that's it. You don't have to preach like Pastor Rob. You don't have to be up here in a pulpit. You don't have to be in 100 people. 
Uh, but he is saying, I want you to preach. What's the gospel? It's so simple. So simple. We were all born into sin. And so God the Father sent his son to come into the world because he loved the world and that whosoever believed in him would, shall be saved. He died on a cross, he was buried, and he rose again. And if we would confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, thou shalt be saved. That's it. You didn't have to hear my testimony. You didn't have to hear some experience in my life. I didn't have to tell you all the questions I don't understand about the Bible, the things I can't answer. I don't have to tell you all the struggles I have with the Bible when I come to it. I didn't have to tell you any of that. I just had to tell you the simple gospel. That's all he says. Just, just, just preach. Just preach that. Because I feel like sometimes you feel like you're not prepared enough to share the gospel with someone. That's not true. He got him up on a mountain. He said, be with me and go preach. Let me tell you how to do that. And he did it in one little mountaintop experience. A weekend. He had him ready to go. He said, okay, let's go at it. I don't even know if it was a weekend. It might have been a day. Who knows? But the truth is, sometimes we feel like we're not ready to share the gospel. We'll say something like this. I need to grow a little. I, I just need to grow a little. I need to understand things more. People can ask me questions. I need to understand things more. Jesus said, be with me, and now I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out. That's it. This is very simple. Be with me, go out and preach the gospel. You're good. What do you mean? What about all those verses on babies? And what about all those verses on this? What am I going to do when they say something like that? Just tell them the gospel. Well, I'm going to be, look like a fool sometimes. Just tell them the gospel. Be with me, go out and preach. You'll deal with the demonic forces in doing that alone. Just go do it. Just go do it. You're good. You're good. <laughs> go out, do ministry, meet needs, push back the forces of evil. Just share it. Just share it. Don't ask, what can I do for Jesus today? Go out and ask this, what can Jesus do through me today? How do you want to use me today? How do you want to speak through me the gospel to someone? I love to do that. I love to do that. That, that should just be something in you. I want to do that. I want to share the gospel with someone. It's not about you bringing your abilities and skills. Man, that's not helpful. You don't need abilities and skills. You just need to say, I spend time with Jesus. I'm going to go out and preach and face the demonic forces. <laughs> That's it. Just bring what Jesus can do. You know why? Because you have the full weight of his authority on you right now. You have the full weight of his authority to represent him. I don't care if you've been saved one day, a week, a month. doesn't matter. You have the full authority of Christ on you. All power has been given unto us. All power. It's a beautiful thought. Jesus can do remarkable things with people who spend time with him and who preach for him. I love that. I love that. Now, I'll just be honest with you, okay? We tend to tilt to one side or the other. Some of you in here, I know, some of you are very comfortable with being with him. 
You love your devotions. You love the spiritual time. You love to be with God's people. You love to pray. You love the stillness. It's awesome for you. And on the other side of it, you're kind of scared to step out of your comfort zone and actually share it with someone. Now, some of you are on the other side of that, and you love doing things out in the community, and you love sharing the gospel, and you love sharing your faith. But you're not so good at unplugging and pressing pause and just spending time with him. You're about the busyness. Now, I can tell you which one I are too. I'd much rather go out and share the gospel. I'd much rather go out and be busy. I'd much rather go out and be doing something. And it's harder for me to pause and just sit there and be with him instead of getting a mission and getting all excited. Okay, God, I got 15 minutes. I got 20 minutes. I got 30 minutes. Today. God, I got a busy day. See, it's, it's easier for me to just go out and share the gospel with someone than it is to do that. So I don't know where you are. I don't know which side you tilt to, but let me say this. If Jesus, Jesus was sitting right next to you in that seat, which way would he elbow you to go? Which way would he elbow you? Would he say to you, you know, you're a busy person. You need to hang out with me. You need to stop. You just need to be with me. Or would he say to you, Hey, I know you love me. I know you really love sharing time with me, and I love it too. But there's some people down there at work that I want you to share your faith with. If you need their names, I'll give them to you. See, it's just, it's just where you tilt. I just want to push you a little, okay? I just want to push you a little to be sensitive that, to that because both those are important. We're invited to both. We are invited to both. So which way would he push you this week? Which way would he push you? Okay, the third challenge. Let's go on. Third challenge you will face. You will face peer-related dynamics you never thought of. I didn't really know how to make this point, so I just tried to get a P in there. You will face peer-related dynamics you never, ever thought of. It says that God, in this next section from verse 16 all the way to the end of verse 20. Uh, uh, verse 19, when he calls the 12. God called 12 men to be in a group together. Now, Jesus had a lot more disciples. These are called the apostles. They had special abilities and special powers. They saw the resurrected Christ. So they're 12 apostles, except Judas, of course. But really, on the whole, all of us are disciples. So Jesus had a whole lot more disciples than 12. We tend to think that that was his only disciples. That's not his only disciples. But, but when these 12 men were called, they were called to be in this group, these 12 together. Now, I have noted this, and I want this to be clear in your heart. Every time someone is saved in the Bible, God places them in a group. That's why we have connect groups here. We have in homes where you can get connected because if you stand alone in an island as a Christian, you will have struggles that will come into your life without a group that you won't be strong enough to deal with, like depression, like loneliness, like someone to pray with, 
someone to care for you. You should be in a group. If it's not a connect group, we got Sunday school. Is that your group? Is that the group you share with? Is that the group you come close to? Is that the group you consider your group? What is your group? But he always places people in a group. What do you think the word church means? Church is a word which literally means in the Greek, a group of called out ones. A group of called out ones. To be in church is to be with the people of God, but it's not just enough to gather and to hear the Word of God. You've got to be in a group, in a group. Okay, so let's just run through these names real quick. We don't know a lot about some of these disciples. Some we know a lot about, but look at their group. Simon called Peter the Rock. That's his surname, the Rock. He's always first in every list of the disciples because Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter, you're going to be the one. So he's always put first, and I think that's the reason. James, we know a little bit about James. He was in the inner circle of Jesus, the top three, if you will, the inner circle Jesus had. He was also the first to die in the book of Acts, the first apostle to die. Then we got John. We know a lot about John, wrote a book. He was, on the, he was in the inner circle as well, and he was the last apostle to die after he wrote the book of Revelation. They, those two were surnamed, nicknamed, the Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder. How would you like that surname? I used to call my son Nick the Son of Thunder. Now I'm calling Asher. He's the Son of Thunder. Makes you kind of think they broke a lot of things in their home when they were growing up, doesn't it? The Sons of Thunder. But that's what they were called, the Sons of Thunder. All right, then you've got Andrew. We know little about Andrew. We just know a few things about him in the Bible. Philip, we know very little about Philip. Bartholomew, we know nothing. Matthew, Levi, we know a little. He wrote the book of Matthew, but we don't know much about Levi outside he was a tax collector. Thomas, we know a little. Doubting Thomas, as you would know him. James, we know nothing. Thaddeus, we know nothing. Simon, we know nothing. Judas, we know a lot. Mostly bad, mostly bad for that guy. So let me give you three takeaways, three quick takeaways from these 12 disciples in this group. Number one, you do not need previous experience to have a profound experience. You do not need a previous experience to have a profound experience. These men had no previous experience. They didn't go to any school. They had no religious pedigrees. And they were mostly middle class. They didn't really have a middle class, but they were mostly middle class to sketchy, to sketchy. That's who Jesus picked, middle class to sketchy. Are you sketchy? You got a chance. All right, but Jesus picked them. I say that because most of you take yourself out of the game before it even begins because you don't think you're ready. You don't think you're ready. Well, I've never done it. You do not need extensive training to represent Jesus. Be with him, go preach. Be with him, go preach. That's it. That's it. Number two, your story may never be shared, but Jesus will never forget it. We don't know much about anything about most of these disciples of Jesus. We do know they served him, though. They all served Jesus Christ. 
Don't make this mistake in church, and don't make it in your Christian life as well. The mistake that those whose roles are more public are more important. And that just because I stand up here and I'm a more public role than you, that somehow my role is more important than yours. Wrong. Jesus had public people, and he had people that were not so public. And all 12 of them were in the same group. You don't even know of some of them, but they served him. So don't make that mistake. Your role is not less important because it's not more public. Jesus never forgets anything anyone does, whether anybody notices it or not. Number three, we come together not because we are like-minded. We come together because he calls us to come together. That's so important. Some of you came to this church because you think you're like-minded with someone else. It's not like-mindedness. You come here because he's called you to come together. Listen to this, Simon You know what Simon's name was in another book when he was named? Simon the Zealot. You know what Simon the Zealot means? He was of a religious group that was bent on holy war with Rome. Jesus picked a zealot that wanted to go to war with Rome for one of his disciples. Levi was a tax collector who worked for Rome. You got a guy who loved Rome and you got a guy who hated Rome. One guy wanted to kill Rome, and one guy wanted to work for Rome. Do you get the feeling that they didn't sit on the bus ride together much? That's the way it is. This is, this is really, this hit me, okay? Uh, you got one NRA member over here, and you got an anti-gun guy on the same bus. That's not going to work out well too long, is it? Unless you didn't come together because you were like-minded, but you came together because Jesus put you together. And if you are living your life to be like-minded by all your friends and have the same opinions and the same views, you're missing it. We won't agree on every issue. Republican doesn't bring us together. Boy, I certainly hope not, because that's not where our hope and faith is. The love of our kids doesn't bring us together. We don't don't have the same thoughts on everything. What we agree on, we differ on all kinds of things. Jesus says, that's okay. I called you to myself. And he wants you to be obedient to the call. It's okay to disagree with each other on the way you see politics and the way you see raising kids and the way you see the NRA or the anti-gun movement or whatever else it is. It's okay to disagree. As long as there's a Bible verse to support you, okay, because I know, wait a minute, can that mean anybody? No, no, there's some certain things that are right and wrong, but it is okay to disagree on some things that we have that are cherished opinions of ours. Now, we might even have to arm wrestle it out sometimes, okay? That's how intense some of you get over these things. But the truth of the matter is, we're going to differ and we're going to disagree. But at the end of the day, that's not what binds us together. What binds us together is that he called us. He called us. 
He used 12 men, and one of them was a betrayer, and he changed the world. It just strikes me. Jesus still calls us to do what they did. So the question here today as you go forth is, what could God do through you? Let me say it even better. What could God do through us? Us. With all our disagreements. All the things that we have in life. It's okay. It's okay to disagree. Okay, I've said enough. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And we thank you for the privilege we have to be with you. To be with you. And to preach. And to deal with demonic spiritual wickedness in high places. We don't always see it, Father, but we know it's there. We know there's a battle. I pray you strengthen each one in this room to that calling. To be with you. And to go forth and preach. Everyone has all the training they need. One message. A few simple lines. They got it. They got it. Go. Go and do that. If that's where you need to tilt this week, tilt there. Some of you need to stop and just be with him. That's where you need to tilt. If you're here and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never confessed your sin and were convicted over it, you need to repent of it, you need to turn from it and say, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. That's where you need to begin. And if that's you, come see me. Come see me. I'm up in the hospitality room hereafter. Come see me. Say, I need to be saved. I need that in my life. Father, take this message now. Stir it to our hearts, to each one of us. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. God's going to lead us in this invitation song.